we, before we leave this morning, because even though that was cute and the youth and the children did an amazing job and the music is great and I could have just kept singing Christmas songs. I know some of you, who, who, who likes Christmas songs? Like you listen to the radio and you like them. How many of you just can't wait for Christmas day because you don't like Christmas songs on the radio? Okay, there's a few of you. All right. All right, everybody look around at who has their hand raised and say, Scrooge. Okay. <clears throat> no. So what, what do we celebrate on Christmas? Well, chances are down in children's ministry, they're having a party, but they're probably asking the kids, what are we celebrating today? And the kids are like, our gifts. And, you know, they're shouting out different things. But, but those who have maybe been, been they knew that this was going to happen. Maybe you talked to your kids already and they're like, Jesus birth, the birth of Jesus. But when you really ponder this deeper, it's a whole lot more than just a birth. Christmas is about the incarnation. Everybody say that with me. Say incarnation. incarnation. Now, I don't know how many people could just stand up and say, I'll tell you what the incarnation is. It's kind of a, we don't really use that word too much these days, but rather than trying to preach some creative sermon with a bunch of video clips and, and fun stuff that maybe I've done in the past, today I thought, you know what, I'm going to just let the Bible tell you its own story today. And so this morning, I just want to speak on this topic, more than just a birth. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, God, that you are already here, that you are honoring the worship that we're trying to offer you, that you receive it, you accept it. We're certainly not deserving to come into your presence, but yet in your grace and mercy, you let us just approach where you are and be close to you and have this incredible relationship with you. And this is all made possible because of the, what we celebrate right now, and that is your incredible, miraculous, supernatural birth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, the word incarnation derives from a Latin word meaning in the flesh. What we celebrate this time of year is a whole lot more than just your average birth. I mean, it's exciting. You know, three people, we just said happy birthday. We got a, a baby getting ready to be born tomorrow. Birth is exciting. We had a spiritual new birth. But, but it's more than just that. This was it, the incarnation. We, instead, we celebrate the word becoming flesh to dwell among humanity. You look at John 1.1, 1, 1, and John is the only gospel that doesn't give us the in-depth story of, and Mary was espoused to Joseph, and they went to Bethlehem. But he has a different perspective. He writes a little bit later than the other gospels. And, and he understands that Jesus Christ was God manifest in flesh. You can tell it's, it's, he has this oneness revelation of who Jesus is. And he writes, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And then verse 14, it says, the word was made flesh, which is who? Jesus. And dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I told you there's going to be a lot of scripture because I want you to see the Bible's going to tell its own story. In Romans chapter 1, verse 3, it says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, notice we just read from the writer John. Now we're reading from the writer Paul, who wrote a letter to the book to the church in Rome. And he says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. 
and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And then we go to the book of 1 John, where John's writing again, and he says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. There's a lot of different beliefs in our world, and there were back then, too. And he says, you want to know how to tell what's right and wrong, the spirit of truth and error? You better find someone who's preaching that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Okay, and then he says in 1 Timothy 3, 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. What does that say? It says God was manifest in the flesh. Not, not a co-equal, co-eternal God or being. He literally says God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in this world, and then received up into glory. Notice how God took on flesh, seen of the angels, preached down here, received up into glory. This is, this is the mystery that he's describing here. And scripture enlightens us over and over again that what we celebrate is a whole lot more than just a birth. It was a supernatural occurrence, what we celebrate. It was an event that changed the course of the past, the present, and the future. It was an incarnation, meaning God took on flesh. But God didn't just show up one day since he chose to come and the scripture says, in the likeness of sinful flesh, he chose to come through the womb of a woman who had been impregnated by the Holy Spirit of God. Since God chose this method, God could have done a million different things. He could have just appeared. He could have spoke something into existence like he did in the early part of Genesis. He could have just all of a sudden just put a savior on the earth. But then that would have been almost a supernatural being that just looked like a human, that didn't really have human characteristics. And so when God says, no, I have a plan, because my plan since the beginning of time always required there to be bloodshed. And so if, the, if someone's going to have blood, it has to be innocent blood that is free from sin. But I'm not going to put just some fake being out there that, oh, of course he's sin-free. That's God. No, he says, I'm actually going to put a seed inside of a woman so that when that woman gives birth, yes, it's absolutely a supernatural being because it's God manifest in flesh. But Mary was more than just an incubator or a holder for the Savior. Mary gave him human characteristics. She, she was part of the birth process. And so when Jesus Christ was born, there is, there's never been another human being like him. Because he's the only person in the history of humankind that at the exact same time was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. And Matthew captures the story in Matthew 1.18. What's a Christmas service without reading this passage? It says the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. They had not had any sexual relationship at this point. They hadn't come together yet, but she was found with child. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. And so, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take Mary thy wife. He says, what is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. 
And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by, of the Lord by the prophet, saying, and so it's going back to the Old Testament, referencing a, a, a book, uh, referencing Isaiah back in the Old Testament. It says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is... That, that baby born, and that little, the little plastic baby in that fake wooden crate that was supposed to be a manger, that baby, Scripture says, was God with us. And so, it says, then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus, which means Jehovah, or that Old Testament God, is or has become our salvation. And so that God of the Old Testament was this baby born incarnate, okay? So God did this in order to become the redeemer of the church, our prophet, our priest, our king. And all of this was for a divine purpose, which shows us in Matthew 121, that he could save us from our sins. It's interesting because Acts 20, 28 says that God purchased his church with his blood. If God is a spirit, how does a spirit purchase a church with blood when there is no blood? That's because Jesus and God are one and the same. Jesus Christ is God manifest in flesh, and he took on that humanity so that he could have the blood to shed to purchase our sins or to purchase our salvation and cover our sins. This is more than just a birth. The only way he could truly save us from our sins was if he took on the same flesh that accumulated those sins. So he says, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and maybe the word might be empty myself or, or humble myself. And, and, and the creator became the creation so that he could walk in our shoes and show us how to live a sinless life and how to overcome sin and then be hung on a cross so that his, he could pay the price that we were supposed to pay. And so he's able to secure our redemption by bearing our sins as a substitution. And he was raised for our justification. Look at Hebrews 2.17. It says, therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. His brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Because God had established something in the Old Testament about the fact that there had to be a substitutionary sacrifice. There had to be bloodshed. So in the New Testament, he didn't, we never see God say, you know what, I know I said this before, but now I feel bad, so I'm just going to change my mind. Right? I think we've all parented like that occasionally. We might tell our kids something that we feel bad later. We're like, all right, go ahead. You're grounded for three days. One day later, you're like, you know, you can get out with good behavior. Okay. You know, sometimes we do these things. But God is, he's the same yesterday, today, forever. He does not change. He tells us in scripture. And so when he sets up a principle, that principle does not change. Instead, God says, no, I set up this principle, but there has to be a, a payment that covers or is the substitutionary sacrifice. And so he says, I'm not just going to ignore everybody's sins. Instead, I'm actually going to take on the humanity to have the blood to shed so I can actually cover their sins. 
And so he says, it says that he, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we are being tested. This is beautiful, what we celebrate today about God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. It's more than just a substitutionary sacrifice, a covering, a, a, a sacrifice, a, 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 a crucifixion. It's more than all that. It's the fact that what we read right here is that because he walked in our shoes and he had people let him down, friends let him down, people stabbed him in the back, literally and figuratively, that he walked through, he experienced hunger, he fasted, he prayed, he went through disappointment, physical turmoil, hunger, thirsting. He did these things. So anytime you go through anything in life, you can bow a knee and raise a hand, close an eye and whisper a prayer, and you're talking to not just some deity in a far-off universe far away. You're talking to a Savior who walked in humanity, who was tempted, who was let down, who hungered and thirst and bled and died. And you can talk to this Savior who, who intimately knows what you're going through. And you say, God, I know you have been here. Lord, I know that you have experienced what I'm hurting right now. I need you, God. And you've walked in my shoes. What an incredible thing that he says, hey, he says, since he himself has gone through, he's able to help us when we're getting tested. What an incredible relationship we have with God. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He, ex he suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. And so biblical evidence for the full deity and humanity of Christ is abundant. In regard to his humanity, Jesus is presented as a Jewish man who was born and underwent a normal growth process. As a matter of fact, Luke 2.52 says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, in all favor, in favor with God and with all people, okay? So Jesus did not just come out and he was like, the book of Isaiah says, like he was a baby and needed to be nurtured and needed to be taught. No doubt that he probably went into Joseph's shop and took his hammers off of his tool board and left them around and put one of them outside in the rain and it rusted. I'm getting frustrated thinking about some of the tools I've lost. Went through Hobby Lobby. It says nothing meets the wrath. How did it say it? Something like nothing meets the wrath of a father whose tools are missing from his shop, you know? I'm not even that much of a handyman, but I like them organized, you know? I'm like, guys, don't touch my tools. Even if I don't use them, I want them to look nice. You see, Jesus experienced a full range of human exp experiences. He marveled. Scripture tells us he marveled in Matthew 8. He slept in Matthew 8. He had compassion in Matthew 9. And I'm just giving this, I mean, many times. But he felt agony in Luke 22. He, he cried. Jesus wept. He, he felt thirsty in John 19. He fasted and prayed multiple times. We're talking about a Savior who absolutely supernatural, have power and authority, but he still, he took on these, he was willing to accept the, almost these limitations of humanity and walk in our shoes and experience what we have and still do experience. And so scripture makes it clear that Jesus was completely sinless. Second Corinthians 5, Paul still talks about it even after Christ ascended. He says, for God made Christ who never sinned to the offering for our sin so that we could be made right 
with God through Christ. And, and again, even that, it says God made Christ. Well, you see there, you got the Father and the Son. That's confusing language. But no, God makes every baby. Tomorrow, Michael and Rachel, they're getting ready to have a baby. God made that baby. Now, understand, we know the birth process. Yes, they were a part of that. But even when a man and woman come together, conception only takes place when God gives life. That is why I will never be a proponent of abortion. Because I'm not going to end something that God chose to start. And so, God is the one that gives life. And so, even here, that God says, I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to the, to the womb of, of Mary. I'm going to allow myself to, to take on this manifestation of humanity and walk in human shoes. God is still the one. The Spirit, it says, impregnated her. Well, guess what? God and the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son, it's all one. It's in different manifestations. And so God says, I'm going to bring life to that womb in a baby boy. And I'm going to take on humanity. And so Hebrews 4.14, it says, so then that we have a high priest who has entered heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Thank God for that. Anybody here have a weakness? Six people here have a weakness. Let's pray for these six weak, weak people. Let's ask again, does anybody here have a weakness? There's a lot more. There's still about eight of them that don't. Either that or they did not roll on the deodorant today and they're like, I ain't raising my hand. I forgot. The high priest of ours, he understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do. Wait, what? If he just comes in glory and not humanity, he does not face what we do. See, sometimes in apostolic Pentecostal churches, we exalt the deity of Christ and we just leave the humanity alone because we don't know how to deal with it. No, no, no. Scripture makes it clear. He walked in human flesh. He experienced temptation and struggle. And he, and, and, and he even walked up in loss of people and crying and hungering and thirsting and bleeding. He experienced this. I think when he walked up to the disciples and said, y'all, I just asked you to pray with me for one hour. He was not like, that doesn't touch me at all. As a, as a human man, a rabbi who invested in them and picked them and trained them, he no doubt was like, man, I could just knock you in the head sometimes, guys. See, leadership is simple on every level if it wasn't for people. No doubt, he experienced these things. He gave us human emotion, and so he, he, he took that on. He no doubt, he, uh, he was angry and flipped over tables. Y'all made my, my house a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. Guys, I told you to pray for an hour. You can't pray for an hour. You generation of vipers. I mean, this guy. But he never sinned. And this is, he says, so now he went through the same testings we do. But notice it says, but yet he did not sin. Sometimes you talk to people, well, I can't help it. I'm just an angry person. Like, no. Use things as a crutch. No, no, no. We can walk in humanity and live a sinless life by the power of the Spirit of God. And he says, so this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He walked the same way. And then he says, so, or because of that, so... 
let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God because that's where we will receive his mercy. We'll find grace to help us when we need it most. You're not talking to a God that, again, is in a, in a galaxy far away. No. God said, I'm going to take on flesh, and I am going to walk among you, and I'm going to dwell among you. Why? Not just so that I can pay a price for your sin. Of course, thank God he did that. But also so that you know you can always have a high priest who's experienced what you've experienced. But also, I want to take it one step closer instead of being that God behind a veil. I want to remove the veil. That's why even in the Old Testament, that veil, Matthew says that veil points to his flesh. God was behind a veil in the Old Testament, but when the, the flesh of Christ, when he died on that cross, the Old Testament said, or the Bible says, Matthew, that, that that veil was torn from top to bottom, that, and that represents the flesh of Christ, is exactly what Matthew says. So when, when Jesus died, he came out un, unto us. I'm not a God behind a veil anymore. I want to be a God among the people. But I want to even go further. One of the reasons I want to come and I want to die on a cross to pay the price for your sins so that you can repent of those sins and that you can receive the other manifestation of my spirit, not another part of a, of a triune God, but that, hey, I took on flesh. But now I'm going to ascend into heaven and I want to send my spirit in a different manifestation. I want to dwell within you as the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And so he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die, I'm going to dwell among the people, but I want to even go something better than that. I don't want to just be among the people. I want to be in my people. And eventually, I want to help them while being in them. I want to lead them and guide them in all things so that one day, I will forever dwell with my people in a place called heaven. God has a beautiful plan. But I'm thankful that he says something like this because, oh, God, you could never forgive me. He's like, you're trying to tell me what I can and can't forgive? I've walked in your shoes, and I know how hard it is. So, 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 just come boldly. Stop hiding. Stop carrying guilt and fear and anxiety. Just come and bring it to me. Because I've walked in your shoes and, and, and I'm going to be there. And when you need mercy, when you need grace, where do you think you're going to find it? Come to the person who loved you enough to take on flesh, who experienced the full gamut of what you're going through. I didn't sin, but I know you do, and that's one of the reasons I came, is to pay the price for when you mess up, that you can come back to me and we can get back on track. You see, from the opening pages of the New Testament, Jesus is identified as the Lord. He's the one who establishes divine rule. He's the one who inaugurates the new covenant era in the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And guess what? This is something only God could do. No human being could do this. Isaiah 9 and 6, he says, for unto us a child is born. This is a lot of, on a lot of Christmas cards, or it used to be. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. What does that mean? There's going to be power. There's going to be authority on this baby boy. 
The government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. And, the, and, and Scripture says that baby is the everlasting father. It does not make a differentiation there. It says the baby boy that's about to be born, that baby is the everlasting father. The Prince of Peace. And it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so he's writing the Old Testament saying, hey, we're living in this covenant period of the Old Testament. But there's a day coming that a child's going to be born. And that child is going to be the everlasting God, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. And then, of course, that is exactly what happens. And Jesus tells us then. He gets in the New Testament, Matthew 5, 17. He says, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I came to accomplish their purpose because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're going, you're trying to just, no, Moses was our father. You're disrespecting. You're disrespecting our, our heritage and our history and all of our religious practices. And he says, no, I didn't come to do that. I'm the one that sent Moses to deliver him. Oh, you? what, what do you mean? You were. Before Abraham was, I am. Let's kill him. He's a man trying to make himself to be God. He goes, I am God. And so he's sitting there trying to say, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. People like Isaiah that said, one day this is going to happen. And he says, I am the fulfillment of what they were talking about. Matthew eleven thirteen. for before John came, all the prophets and law, Moses looked forward to this present time. He was trying to let them know, don't miss it. Don't miss it. I am the fulfillment. Today is the day. It's more than a birth that we're celebrating today. The Old Testament prophets spoke of this day where the Old Testament covenant, the law, would give way to a new covenant or grace. And Jeremiah talks about it in 31, 31. He says, the day is coming. Notice it wasn't there yet. Old Testament, he says, the day is coming, says the Lord, well, I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not look like the old one with their ancestors when I took them by the hand, brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife. But this is a new covenant. Not yet, but I'm, there's a day coming. I might make with my people of Israel after those days. I'm going to put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. Meaning it's not going to be an external thing. It's going to be an internal thing. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will not need to teach their neighbors. Nor they will need to teach their relatives. Saying you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness. And I will, ne I will never again remember their sins. Thank you, God. How many of you have ever repented of a sin? How many of you have ever repented of a sin, but you still think about it and feel bad about it later? God doesn't. Because of what he did, he specifically tells us, I will never, I will never again remember their sins. Wow. So in some ways, you've got a better memory than God. But you need to lose it sometimes. You see, the Pharisees wanted to kill him. I'm not going to be much longer today, but 
John 10, 32 and 33, Jesus said, at my Father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one do you stone me? He said, because you're like a man trying to be like God. He's like, no, I am God. Jesus' acts were not merely human acts. And I want to make this clear. Jesus' acts were not merely human acts empowered by the Spirit of God. He was not a man like me that had the Spirit and it just helped him. Jesus Christ was 100% man, 100% God, but he was 100% God. He had authority and power that I, even with his spirit, I can do the things he did, but he did not have to check with anybody to calm the sea. Okay? They were demonstrations of his own power and divine authority over nature. Matthew 8, 23 tells us a story. He got in the boat. A fierce wind comes up. He's sleeping on the boat. <laughs> anybody ever have a hard time sleeping because of anxiety and fear and all the things you're going with? It seems like everybody on that boat is freaking out, except for Jesus. He is sound asleep because he ain't scared. If you're in a storm right now, you might be freaking out. Jesus ain't scared. And he wakes up and says, why are you afraid? You ever think about that? What a bunch of knuckleheads. They are afraid in a storm, and they got Jesus on board with them. Well, why are you afraid in a storm when you got Jesus on board with you? He says, why are you afraid? He says, you have so little faith. He got up, rebuked the wind and waves. He did not have to say, Father, is it okay? He is God manifest in flesh. Certainly he prayed and he taught us to pray. And he had to push that humanity down at times. But he, did, he had authority. He said, rebuke the wind. Stop. And Christ had all power. Ephesians 1.9 says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. Because he's always had a plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and in earth. Jesus Christ has all authority. Why? Because he is God manifest in flesh. And so because of Jesus, not only does everything exist, but we also have hope for a future. Colossians 1.15 says, Christ is the, is the visible image of the invisible God. It does not say a, a father and a son relationship and a co-equal, co-eternal God, a triune God. He says, Jesus Christ is the visible image of an invisible God. He is the everlasting Father. And so, he existed before anything was created in supreme uh, over all creation. Now, I want you to understand something. As Paul is writing this to the church in Colossians, he makes this clear in other places. Paul was not saying that the human baby boy was a pre-existent son. Meaning that Jesus, this human Christ, existed from the beginning of time. He did not, he was not walking around like playing in heaven and then the father was like, oh my goodness, they are sinning. Son, you go take care of it. That's not what he did. God is a spirit who spoke with angels and even counseled with angels and talked with them. He did not need angels' permission, but we have him in accounts of speaking with them. He says, I have a plan forever. This is the Old Testament plan, but now I have a new plan, a new covenant. I am going to take on flesh. God is a spirit, never ceases to be a spirit. That's why if, if, if God decides to speak to us as this music stand today, whoa, he spoke as a burning bush. But we don't say there's a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and burning bush. God can speak in as many 
many ways as he wants, but he never ceases. I come from Wisconsin. That church in Wisconsin can be worshiping and praying today. And if God chooses to speak to us out of this music stand, we don't have another God, another deity. It's just a manifestation of God's spirit, which never ceases to be a spirit anywhere else. And so he says, there was not this human baby that all of a sudden, well, poop, oh, I got to make you smaller. Start over and go into her womb. No, God says, I'm going to take on flesh. The way I'm going to do it is I want to be 100% God and 100% man. I am going to enter into the womb and conceive life as, as, as an egg in that woman. And I'm going to begin to grow. And, and I'm going to, she's going to give birth and give me humanity. I was the one that impregnated her by my spirit, which is just another manifestation of one God. I have impregnated her by my spirit. She's going to give birth and give me the human deity or the humanity that I need. And I'm going to walk in the flesh that they walk in. So that I can show them how to walk in this humanity and, and deal with the disappointments and deal with the temptations and live a sinless life. So God has always been since the beginning of time. But the human baby Jesus that had a body that started in Mary's womb. There's some confusion there at times, so I want to bring clarity there. And if you say, I still have questions, I love it, let's have a Bible study when other people aren't waiting for me to shut up so they go do what they do on Sunday, December 19th. He says, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities, and the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. Now it's talking about God. God, the, he, spirit existed, but Jesus is God. So that's where there's, there doesn't, he's talking about Jesus, but Jesus and God are the same thing. The only difference comes when we talk about the human body that God took on when he entered the womb of Mary. And says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. That's why we say this, we are the body of Christ. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he's the first in everything. For God in his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. So you, you, you want to see the fullness of Jesus or the fullness of God? You only see it, John says, in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm 100% in belief that when we enter into heaven, we will see the resurrected body of Jesus Christ and see the fullness of God in the face of Jesus. And it says, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. There wasn't a separation here. He used that humanity, not a separate, he, Jesus Christ is God, manifest in flesh. But he did that to reconcile the whole world to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Folks, everything we celebrate, it is more than a birth. And I invite you to stand to your feet today. Because our God loved us so much. This was not just like a religious class, okay? I mean, it wasn't just something we had to memorize in theory. The reason why we have the Christmas story is only one reason, because God loves you so much. That's it. And so he said, you know what? 
Sin doth abound. Grace abounds more, and here's what's going to happen. I'm not going to make them kill animals and work through a religious system that worked for that moment, but even those prophets prophesied how one day a new system, a new covenant's coming. I didn't come to abolish to break down that covenant. I came to fulfill what has been prophesied. They were all pointing to me. I am the baby born. I'm the everlasting father. I'm the mighty God. The government is upon my shoulders. I'm the one Jeremiah talked about. I'm the one Isaiah talked about. I'm the one Ezekiel talked about. I'm the one that's going to walk in their shoes and make a way. Christmas is a celebration of more than a birth. It was an incarnation when God, God became flesh to walk among us and to pay a price for us. And he did it not just to pay the price, but he did it because he wanted you to have someone that you're a high priest that is touchable to say, I come into your presence right now and I am bringing this issue to you, God, and you walked in these same shoes. And so I come to you today knowing that you're not just the God far away. No, you are my close and present Savior who loved me so much that said, God, I'm going to take on flesh. And then he says, I'm going to ascend into heaven. But the disciples are freaking out. He says, don't worry. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. Well, yeah, but you're leaving. You're dying. This is just my humanity. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you so that I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. And that's why if you're here and say, I've never received the spirit of God. Why don't you come to an altar today? and God will place His Spirit inside of you with the evidence of speaking in other tongues and He will be with you always. And that's a whole lot better than just one human being you got to go visit. That is Him saying, I want to be with every single one of you and eventually that's going to help lead you to the place where we will be together forever and ever and ever in a place called heaven. I am so thankful for the plan that God has for us. And if you are too, I invite you to just come across the front and to find a place to pray. Maybe today you're praying about being baptized. Maybe you're praying about how you want that spirit to fill you. You want God's spirit in your life. Maybe you're just saying, God, I am so thankful that you told me to come boldly before a throne of grace. Because guess what? I need grace and mercy right now. I have messed up and you told me that you would forgive it and never remember it. And so God, I'm struggling because I keep remembering my failures. But Jesus, I give you my failures. I give them to you right now. Help me to be like you and not remember them anymore. I'm moving past that. I'm going into a different dimension, a different realm in you, God. Thank you for everything we celebrate today, that you looked at me in my failures and faults. You looked forward and said, I'm, I'm going to love them enough to take on flesh. Thank you, Jesus. I